We're going to go right into the message this evening. It's found in the book of 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. We've been preaching through the book of 1 Thessalonians. We've been preaching a series entitled Prepare for the Second Coming. We have noted that in every chapter that Paul wrote back to those at Thessalonica, there is a mention of the return of the Lord Jesus Christ, his second coming, if you will. Uh, he's mentioning it every single time. And you and I would do well to prepare for the second coming. If you can't tell by the season and the, and the times in which we now live, the Lord Jesus Christ is coming. He's closer than he's ever been before to coming. Uh, and, and he is on his way. And I say hallelujah to the Lamb of God. The Lord is on his way. Amen. So I'm prepared. Are you prepared? I'm saved, but I have some friends and loved ones that's not ready yet, and I'm concerned for them, and I'm burdened for them, and I want to witness to them and testify to them, and I want to pray for them that they might get saved before it's everlasting too late. We talked about how Paul founded this church established by the power of God on his second missionary journey, and we talked about how there was an uproar. He preached there for three Sabbaths, and an uproar was made, and by night he had to leave that area. He went to Berea, then he went to Athens, and now he is riding back. Remember, he sent Timothy to check on him. He was so worried and concerned and burdened, he could no longer forbear. He had to find out how they were doing. And when Timothy came back and told him, hey, there's faith and there's charity, there's love here, he was excited and he began to rejoice. Now we pick up the story in chapter 4 and I want to preach this thought. Thessalonica, what a church. It's a church that's prepared for the second coming. A church with the master's instructions. Are we a church with the master's instructions? Thessalonica had the master's instructions. Bethel, we have the master's instructions tonight that we can preach by and live by. Paul says in verse number one, furthermore then, we beseech you, brethren, and exhort you by the Lord Jesus that as ye have received of us how ye ought to walk and to please God so you would abound more and more. For you know what commandments we gave you by the Lord Jesus. Two points tonight. Number one, there is the priority of the believer. In verse one, he gives us a passionate imperative. He's continuing. That word furthermore means I have more to say on this thought. He's been rejoicing, thanking God, desiring to get back to see the church at Thessalonica. And he says, now, brethren, what does that mean? That word brethren, it means from the same womb. He's writing to other Christians, other believers, other saints. He's writing to the believers at Thessalonica. I say amen. He's writing to the believers tonight at Bethel. He says, we beseech you, brethren. Oh, thank God. I begin to think about uh, just because you go to church, it doesn't make you one of the brethren. You know, I might stand underneath that carport right there. It doesn't make me a Buick. Coming to church doesn't make you a Christian, Amen. I think about Jonathan Edwards. You ever heard of that great man of God who on uh, July the 8th, I believe it was 1741, took the text and preached sinners in the hands of an angry God and he just simply read the text as he began to preach to the people. 
people began to feel like hell was opening up before them and they gripped the back of the pews and when they finally turned loose, people were running to the altars being saved. He pastored that church for 23 years and they voted him out. And they voted him out because he took the pulpit and believed if you're going to take communion at the church, you need to be saved. You need to be a believer. You need to be a Christian before you take communion. And they got mad and voted him out. You see, just because you come to church, it does not make you a brethren, a Christian, or a believer. Jonathan Edwards found that out when he simply said you ought to be saved, and I believe it too, amen. And if it gets me run out of here, I'll be run out, amen. I believe you ought to have to be saved before you take the communion at the church. Say amen right there. Now, he says, I beseech you, that is to implore with an urgent request. This is not some casual asking. It is that he is begging. He is doing all he can to gain the attention of. Percy Ray preached. Uh, he would cut on a red light over his head, cut off the lights in the church, and would wave his arms and say, stop, sinner, stop. Stop, sinner, stop. The, the, the bridge is out ahead. You're going to perish and die and go to hell. Stop, sinner. He preached on the red lights of hell. You talk about getting your attention, whoo-wee, get through that message. I don't care how saved you are, you'll get nervous in that condition, amen. I'm telling you, thank God for it. He's beseeching them, and he says, I exhort you. That is strong encouragement, someone pouring their heart out. It's not Paul, listen to this, by the Lord Jesus. The Lord is beseeching, the Lord is exhorting. He's trying to give some practical instructions to the church that as you have received of us, how you ought to walk and to please God. Paul taught the church at Thessalonica how to walk before God and how to please the Lord. The Bible says without faith, it is impossible to please him. The Bible tells us that Jesus pleased the Father. And if tonight, in your heart, if you say, I want to please God. Anybody here want to please God? Be careful, the devil is coming after you. He's against you. I'm telling you, if the devil's not giving you a hard time, turn around. <laughs> because you must be walking with him. But if you'll turn around, you'll start walking contrary to him. You hear me? Now, I want you to know, it is... It is normal practice to see people walking. As I came in tonight, from I went over to the one-way program. There was people walking around. There was kids, kids going to music class and some kids singing and they were changing to this or that. And I came over here in the parking lot. I seen somebody get out of the car. I saw somebody walking into the Hispanic ministry over here. And people, I saw y'all tonight. You walked to get to. Say, Amen. You walked to get to your pew. Amen. You were walking. That's normal and common. For us to see people walking. Yet for a little child, I remember for Shelby and for Luke, I was so excited when they were born. And when they got to be 9, 10, 11, 12 months old, they were learning to walk. And they took their first step. And I went, ooh, you're walking. That's great. And that first step, do you agree? The first step was important. But the first step is not walking yet. They had to have some stabilization. They, they had to have some balance. They had to put a few 
string a few steps together. You see, walking with God, the first step's being saved. But there's other steps that still need to be taking, taken if you're going to walk with Him. Are y'all okay right there? There are things that you and I need to be working on to get some balance, right? You ever had a spinny head? Yeah, right? You ever, you ever, you ever lose your balance? Let me tell you something. If we're going to walk with God, we've got to get some balance. We've got to string some steps together. Paul said, I've given you some commandments. Uh, there's some steps you need to follow, some things you need to do. I want to read a text, just a verse. Ephesians chapter 5, I know I've been preaching a series on love. We've been preaching, I don't know, three or four weeks now for God so loved and we've not even got halfway through the verse. Ephesians chapter 5, verse number 2, look at it. Paul's talking about walking, talking about being followers of God. Dear children, look what he says. And walk in love. How have you been walking today? Have you been walking in love? been walking in grace, been walking in faith, as Christ also hath loved us and hath given himself for us an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet smelling savor. How are you doing in your walk today? Now we're going to talk tonight about some walking. The priority of the believer is to walk with God and to please him. Paul is yet in this book to give us any imperatives. He has been burdened, he has been praying, he has been relieved, he has been rejoicing. He has been thanking God for this church. But now here we go with some imperatives. I'm talking about a church that has the master's instructions. Some things we need to do if we're going to walk and please God. The priority of the believer should be to please the Father. Number two, and I'll be done. There is the purity of the believer. How should we walk? Look at verse number three. For this is the will of God, even your sanctification, that you should abstain from fornication. That every one of you should know how to possess his vessel in sanctification and honor, not in the lust of concupiscence, even as the Gentiles which know not God. Every time in this verse, as he's laying out how we're to walk before God, and we see the first thing we need to do is we need to walk in holiness. If we're going to have some purity before God, we've got to walk in holiness with God. That, that word, that, it just jumps off the page that every one of you, that you should abstain from fornication, that every one of you, should know how to possess his vessel. So walk in holiness. The word fornication. It's not talked about much in Baptist churches anymore. Amen. It is a Greek word, porneia. It's where we get our word pornography from. It is sex outside of marriage. Preacher, you can't say that. Society is bombarded with the ethic of immorality. In that day and age in Thessalonica, the Gentiles lived in sexual impurity in that society, in that culture. It was the norm. And might I just add 
that the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the pride of life is the norm in which you and I live tonight. It is the norm of our ungodly modern culture. We are plagued with lusts of the flesh and desires for things that are immoral. The world we live in promotes and encourages promiscuity. They say if it feels good, do it. If it makes you happy, then do it. Hey, God's word says if you're going to walk with God, if you're going to please God, you are to abstain from fornication. To abstain means to refrain from. To abstain says means don't do it. And I might even go further than the definition of don't do it. It means stay away from it. If it's too great of a temptation, stay away from it. Might I look at verse 4? That every one of you might know how to possess, should know how to possess his vessel in sanctification and honor. Preacher, what does that mean? 2 Corinthians 4 says, 4 7 says, uh, we have this treasure in earthen vessels. You are an earthen vessel where the Holy Spirit makes his abode. He's talking about your life. He's talking about your body. You should know how to possess your body and hold it in sanctification. That means, a big word, means to be set apart. Not acting like the culture, the society, the world in which you live, but to come apart, be different from everybody else. It's amazing nowadays, everybody says we need to get on the same page. We, we, we need to, no, let me tell you something. Who is it that made us to be different? It's the plan of God that we are different. It's God that calls us to be different. Thank God we are not all the same. That would be boring, man. God made us all to be different. Now look with me in verse 5. The lust of concupiscence. What does that mean? It means passion that's out of control. It means desire. It means a craving for things that are forbidden. It is to please the flesh. I want to tell you something. Come here. Listen to me. A friend of mine pastors a huge church. They were having a staff meeting, and in the staff meeting, uh, the, only the secretary was not involved in the staff meeting, and a man came knocking on the door of the church. She got up, saw him on the camera. She got up, talked to him, said, listen, there's pastors in a staff meeting. Got the associate pastor in there, the other associate pastor in there. Uh, our chairman of the deacons is in there. And he said, you don't understand. This is life or death. I, I, life or death. I must speak with the pastor now. So she said, just wait here. She went and got, she said, Pastor, I hate to interrupt you, but something is happening. This man, he, he is emotional. He, I, I don't know what to do. He says it's life or death. My friend told me. He came out of the meeting. He sat down to talk to the man. He said, what is it that won't wait? He said, Pastor, I'm dying. He said, I went to the doctor's office a few weeks ago just to get a normal checkup for my work. And while I was there, a lady smiled at me. She was attractive. And I smiled back at her and made small talk with her. And they finally called my name and I went back to see the doctor. And when I came out, I waited on her when she came out of the doctor's office. And I spoke with her. And we decided I invited her to lunch. And then we decided to have an afternoon of passion. Preacher, you can't tell this. Yes, I can. 
And he said, one afternoon of passion, supposedly meaningless. He said, that's been months and months and months ago. My spouse does not know. And I have had some complications, some health issues. I've just gone back to the doctor, and the doctor says, I have AIDS. And I contacted it there. I've never done anything like that before. I've never done anything like that since. And pastor, I'm going to die, and now I'm going to have to go home and tell my wife, because I've been with her, that I've killed her too. And now our two children are going to be without a mama or a daddy. Now listen how quiet the room gets. True story, all because someone that's a Christian in a church, knowing that they should walk with God and please God, decided that they would step outside of God's commandment, step outside of God's imperative, and please the flesh that has cost them their life and their family. If you want to walk with God, you need to walk with God in holiness. That scares people to death, the word holiness. But I would remind you, I have a holy Bible. Inside of me, I have a Holy Spirit. On the throne of God, I have a holy God. If we don't have holiness without which, we will not see God. So you need to have some holiness in your life. Now look back with me uh, in verse number 6. There's our word again, that. So we see a change. We're walking, pleasing God. That no man go beyond and defraud his brother in any matter. Because that the Lord is the avenger of all such, as we also have forewarned you and testified. For God hath not called us unto uncleanness, but unto, there's our word, holiness. He therefore that despiseth, despiseth not man, but God, who hath also given unto us his holy spirit. Okay, here's another thought. How are we to walk before God and please him? We need to walk in, in um, harmony. Do not defraud, verse 6 says, your brother. That means to cheat him. That means to seek personal gain at the expense of your brother. It's amazing. Greedy people, deceitful people. I know a man who, true story, came to the altar. The man of God dealt with the man in the altar and the man was weeping. He said, I need to be saved. And, and he said, but if I, I can't get saved tonight because if I do, I have a crooked land deal tomorrow. And I won't be able to go through that land deal. I'm defrauding, I'm cheating, I'm deceiving someone. It's $25,000. Back then, that was a lot of money. And the preacher said, sir, you're putting a $25,000 price tag on the lapel of your soul. He said, but I've got revival tomorrow night. I'll come back and get saved tomorrow night. And he said, it doesn't work like that, sir. You get saved when the Holy Spirit is dealing with you or you won't get in. That, that's, the way, that's what the Bible says. Is what, and he said, I'll take my chances. And he, he got up from the altar, dried his eyes, got up from the altar, went and did his land deal the next day, defrauded somebody, got his money, came back to the altar the very same place. And the preacher went down there and said, well, I see you're back. He said, yeah, but it's different tonight. Last night, my heart was beating out of my chest. Last night, I felt like I was going to die and go to hell. And, and, and I, but tonight, I feel nothing. Cold, indifferent. 
I feel nothing. But I want to ask him to save me anyway just to, he said, you can, but it won't work because you rejected him last night and you went through with your land deal and God's probably rejected you. And the man just got up cold as a stone and walked away. Within three months, the preacher, the evangelist, was called back and said that that man was in his home and it was going out of his mind screaming and he was beating his head on the headboard of his bed and the man of God and the pastor went back there down to the bedroom where he was and they saw him hitting his head and blood coming out, hair coming out and he was screaming, he said, Preacher, don't let him get me, don't let him get me, don't, the devil's coming up the drive, the devil's coming up the walkway, the devil's coming down the house, Preacher, don't let him get me, Preacher, I mean it, I'm sorry for what I did. And about that time, he said it looked like he just slid down the bed and he died. The coroner said, we can't find the cause of death. If I wanted to put what I should have put, what I knew to put, I would say that God killed him. But it looked like somebody grabbed him by the feet and jerked him down. And he had said, there's chains, the devil's got chains, he's coming to get me. I'm telling you, if you try to defraud your brother, you're defrauding yourself. And the Bible says that the Lord will be the avenger of all such. The Bible says that it would be better for that man that a millstone would be hanged about his neck than for him to hurt one of God's little ones. I'm going to put every one of y'all tonight on record. You be careful about having roast preacher in your car or at your supper table. You be careful about running down the things of God and the, the, the people of God. You be careful about talking about a brother or a sister in front of your family. It'd be better than a millstone. Be hung about your neck and you'd be cast in the sea than if you hurt one of God's little ones. God wants you and I to walk before God and to please Him and to walk in harmony. Your testimony, your witness uh, is one of the, the most cherished attributes you have. But it's also very fragile. If you're cheating people, you're, you're hurting your testimony, your church's testimony, and you're hurting God's testimony. You and I need to live above reproach. We need to live beyond accusation. The Bible says, He that despiseth, despiseth not man, but God. Preacher Darren, what does that mean? If you despise someone, that means you just don't like them. And God loves them. And God saved them and forgave them of their sins. And last time I checked, if you're saved, you ought to love what God loves. Amen? Amen? We've got to learn to walk together in love. Look at verse 9. But as touching brotherly love, you need not that I write unto you, for ye yourselves are taught of God to love one another. Here we are on love again, preacher. You just can't leave it alone, can you? The love of God, Romans 5, 5, the love of God is shed abroad in their hearts by the Holy Ghost, which is given unto us. Galatians 5, 22, the fruit of the Spirit is love. 1 John 4, 8, he that loveth not knoweth not God, for God is love. John 13, 35, by this shall all men know that you are my disciples if you have love one to another. 1 John three fourteen. we know 
that we have passed from death unto life because we love the brethren. Honey, if you don't love the brethren, you need to check to see if you really got it. If you despise someone, you're not despising them. Despising them, you're despising God who loved them and died to save them. Amen? Well, I've got to move off that thought. Verse number 10. And indeed, you do it. In other words, you love, you have charity. You do it towards all the brethren which are in Macedonia. But we beseech you, there's that word again. We beseech you, brethren, that you increase more and more. Oh, preacher, I love everybody. Well, honey... You need to love them more. There was a woman who came up to Percy Ray one time and she said, she was an English teacher. And she came up and she said, I want you to know that you made this mistake and this mistake and this mistake. You mispronounced that word. This right here is not, not, not the correct verb tense. And she criticized things he said. And she said, if I could just quit, cut out all those things, we'd cut out a lot of your message tonight. He said, I'll go get a pair of scissors. And she said, why? He said, well, the first thing you said to me was my tie was too long. And he said, right now I'm thinking your tongue's too long. So you cut my tie, we'll cut your tongue. Well, preacher, he didn't say that. Yeah, he did. Percy Ray, he did. And he said, I'll tell you what, dude. I'm going to work hard to make sure I... He said, I'm going to work hard to make sure I pronounce the words right. I'm going to work hard to make sure I use the correct verb tenses. I'm going to work hard. And while I'm there, I want you to pray. And I want you, while I'm preaching, to start writing down names of people that you know need to be saved. People you're burdened for. You, you're a school teacher. You must know a lot of lost people. She said, I do. He said, and if I invest in preaching, you invest in praying. She brought index cards with her. And when he started preaching, she took him up on it. She started praying. She started writing down names that came to her. And let me tell you something. By the end of the week, people that she had named on the cards started walking the aisleways and getting saved, and she went to shouting and rejoicing. You see? And he said, I'll be honest with you, I don't know, think I preached any different than I did before. It's just the Holy Ghost got a hold of her heart, honey. Amen. If you get in your happy place and go to the Holy Ghost, everything, we've got to learn to walk together in harmony. If you take two harps tuned to each other, you pluck the string on one, the other one, same string, starts vibrating. We've got to learn to walk together in harmony. Amen. Now look with me in verse number 11. There's that word again. And that. There's our change again. That ye study to be quiet and do your own business and to work with your own hands as we commanded you. We've got to learn to walk in humility. Walk in humility. What, what, are you, what is he saying? Well, he, first of all, he says uh, that you study to be quiet. Boy, let me tell you something. If any, way, any one of us could do anything, we'd do well to study to be quiet. That, that means that we would, we would stop mouthing our boastings. That, that means that, that we, would stop, uh, we would stop the rumor mill. We would stop the gossip chain. We'd do well at our local churches. Amen to get off the Facebook and get our face in the book. You know what I mean? You need to strive to lead a peaceable and a quiet life, not running here and there, stirring up gossip and strife. Some people are 
pick to pick, quick to pick up the phone and spread a rumor rather than being quick to hit their knees and go to heaven. That's a problem. Now, I talked about my dog when I got home this evening. She's a husky. She's virtually a wolf that we're trying to tame. I want to read out of Proverbs 27. Turn there with me. Got a verse of scripture here. There's a lot uh, that could be said. Your turn, chapter 26, sorry, chapter 26. A lot could be said there about boastings. Paul also said, he said, you need to, to do your own business. In other words, get your nose out of everybody else's business. You, you'll do well to let other people just leave them alone. You got enough to worry about. I need an amen right here. You got to just enough to worry about just with you. I got a lot of problems. And if I could just worry about my problems, huh, try to fix what's going on in my life, I'd be a whole lot better off than worrying about what your problems are and correcting you. If I point a finger at you, I got three pointing right back at me. Now, I was talking about the dog. In Proverbs 26, I believe it's verse 17. Help me, Lord. 26, 17. He that passeth by and meddleth with strife belonging not to him is like one that taketh a dog by the ears. Imagine going to get a hold of a strange dog. You come to my house, you grab Lacia, Appalachia, that's her name, grab Lacia by the ears, just grab her by the ears. What do you think is going to happen to you? She's going to lick you. She's going to like you. no. You're a stranger to her. She's going to protect her property. She's like, don't meddle with my household. Ah! She'll bite you. And if you stick in your nose in somebody else's business, right? If you're meddling around in somebody else's business, you're going to get bit. You're going to probably have, you're probably going to have more problems than the people that you stuck your nose in their business. Amen? Come to my house, grab a hold of that husky dog. It won't be me or my wife with an issue. It'll be you. That's what the Bible says. And Paul tells us, he gives us imperative, if you want to please God, you've got to walk in humility. You've got to study to be quiet. You've got to work to do your own business. And then he says, then you've got to work with your own hands. You ought not to be mooching off of somebody else's blessings. Now, now Paul, well, look at this. Paul, when he preached there to the church at Thessalonica, Jesus is coming, Jesus is coming, some of them took it so to heart they quit their jobs to prepare for Jesus is coming. But now, when Jesus delayed his coming, they don't have any way to eat. And they're trying to mooch off of other people. In other words, they got their hand out that somebody else would take care of them. It'd be amazing tonight to find out how your tax dollars, how many people you really taking care of. When you fill out your taxes, you got two, three dependents, or do you have 18? You may have 14 you don't even know about. Same man right there. The Bible says, you're still in Thessalonians, right? Go to 2 Thessalonians. I know this is not popular, but if you're going to walk before God, You've got to walk before God in humility. 
you've got a, an in harmony and, and in holiness. Look in Second um, Thessalonians chapter 3, verse number 10. Look what Paul said to these folks that had quit their jobs and waiting for the second coming and they're trying to mooch and they've becoming lazy and complacent. Chapter 3, verse 10. Boy, it's going to make people mad. I know it. For even when we were with you, this we commanded you, that if any would not work, neither should he eat. Amen? Go back to the Old Testament. When Ruth, the Moabitess, came with Naomi back to Bethlehem, Judah, God had a provision for those that were strangers and for those that didn't have money. He said, um, when you work in your field, the corners of the field are for the strangers, for the widows. You leave the corners of your field alone, they will come down and work that property that they might have something to eat. In other words, Ruth knew if she didn't go glean in the field, she and Miss Naomi would have nothing to eat. There was no handout. She could not mooch. But yet God had made a provision. If you work, you eat. I'll take care of you. Well, hello. I guess I better move off of this. But it's amazing how many people are seeking to take advantage of the hard work of others. It is amazing. I realize there are people that can't help themselves. But if we are able, if we are able, we're expected to work and to provide. Laziness on the part of believers does nothing to help the cause of Christ. Last of all, verse 12, and I'll be done. That, there's our word again, that ye would walk honestly towards them that are without, that ye may have lack of nothing. To walk in honesty. Don't be deceptive in your doings. Don't be deceptive in your dealings. Walk honestly, especially before unbelievers. You know, you're the only Bible they're ever going to read. Much damage has been done to the church because people that are believers try to take advantage of folks that are not. And we must ensure that our motives are pure in everything that we do. We must be mindful how we present ourselves to the world. Hard work and honesty go a long way towards working for the Lord. And I promise you, God just said, that he will, you will have lack of nothing. He will meet your needs if you're following him, walking with him, committed to pleasing him. First step, salvation. Next step, walking in uh, humility. Walking in honesty. Walking in holiness. Do you see? We need to learn how we're going to walk and please our master. You see, the world needs men who cannot be bought. The world needs men whose word is their bond, who put their character above their wealth, who are larger than their careers, who will be honest in small things as well as great things, who will make no compromise with things that are wrong, whose ambitions are not confined to their own selfish will and desire and motives, who will not do it just because everybody else is doing it who are true to their friends, no matter evil or honest good report, who do not believe that shrewdness and cunning and hard-headedness uh, hard, uh, are the best qualities for success, who are not ashamed to stand up for the truth 
of the word of God. When it's unpopular and they're able to say no with emphasis when it's time to stand up. General Robert E. Lee of Civil War fame waited out his waiting last days in poverty. And one day some men approached him and offered him an unusual proposition. They said if he would sign his name on a piece of paper, they would not make him, they would give him a lot of money and they wouldn't make him go to an office to get all this money. They were just going to use his good name. Generally, this is what he did. He had a cane, he took it up. And he said, men, I lost my home in the war. I lost my fortune in the war. I lost everything in the war but my good name. And I'm not selling my name to anyone no matter how much it may or may not be worth, especially for a product of doubtful repute. And if you fellas don't get out of here, I'll use this cane to drive you away. We need some people who are willing to say, Lord, I want to please you. I want to walk with you. And as I do so, it must be done in holiness and it must be done in humility and it must be done in honesty and it must be done uh, uh, as we walk before the Lord each and every day of our lives. Church, we have the master's instructions. Popular or not, what are we going to do with them? You stand to your feet tonight. Father, I thank you for the good word of God, for the challenge of this text. Help us, Lord. It's not popular preaching, but Father, it'll help us in the days to come if we learn to walk with you. So many of us think, well, I'm saved now, and that's all I need to do. And that's just one step, and that's a necessary step. We must take that step, but God, there are more steps that we need to take if we're going to walk with the Lord. Help us now, God, I pray, to put the preaching into practice. And with this we pray in Jesus' name. And all God's young and say.